If you have your word tonight, uh, open your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke chapter 14. We have two main texts tonight, so if you have two bookmarks or two ribbons in your Bible, uh, you can use both of them tonight. You can flex a little bit with your, with your ribbons. Uh, if you don't, that's okay too. But the other passage is John chapter 15, and in, in Fredericksburg, uh, I'm, I'm going through a series in the Gospel of John, and we were in John 15 this morning, towards the end of John 15, and so I thought tonight I would use that text uh, also, and use the text in Luke to, um, to convey the message uh, for us here tonight. And the title of the message tonight is The Cost of Discipleship. The Cost of Discipleship. And what does it mean to follow Jesus uh, fully? What does that look like? And this, none of this, I don't think, will be anything new. Uh, thankfully, you have a pastor here who preaches the true word of God and doesn't hold back and lays it out like it is when it comes to serving the Lord and wanting to see the kingdom of God established here on earth. How does that look to us as believers? But I wanted to uh, just provide a little bit more insight into this thought uh, of discipleship and what it means to be a follower of Christ today. What does it look like today? And so let's, let's uh, turn to Luke chapter 14. If you're already there, just wait for me to get there and uh, we'll jump right into that. Uh, Luke 14, starting in verse 25. This is Jesus. Uh, and it says in verse, uh, well, 26, let's start in 26. It says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going out to encounter another king in war, will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, any of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Lord, I thank you for your word. Help us to uh, get what we can out of it tonight. Lord, speak to us as we study it, as we meditate on it. Let the words that you've given us come alive to us tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So have, you, have your, uh, your Bible ready in John 15. We're going to turn there in just a second. But I want to just be clear that if you bear the mark of Christ, now I'm not talking about a tattoo of Jesus, okay? If you have one of those, you know, God, God loves you too tonight. Uh, if you bear the mark of Christ, the world will hate you. 
the world will hate you. Now, when I say world, I'm not talking about the creation. I'm not talking about the trees and, you know, a tree falling on your roof and you just thinking that the world is against you because you bear the mark of Christ, that you serve Jesus. No, I'm talking about those who are not in Christ. Those in our world, people who have yet to have the revelation of Jesus Christ in their heart. Those who have yet to put their faith in Christ. You and me, before we were in Christ, would have been included in the world. That, that those who have yet to put their faith in Christ reject the gospel, reject the need to repent of their sin, and therefore hate anything that would tell them that they need a Savior, which is the believer. So the world hates you because Christ is your Savior, because you bear the mark of Christ. Now in John 15, Jesus, uh, th this is when Jesus is, is spending his last few moments with the disciples before the crucifixion. Judas has already left at this point. Jesus has excused him from the table uh, after serving him. He excused him to carry out his, his evil deeds of betrayal against our Savior. But Jesus is here with the eleven and he begins to tell them what is about to soon happen. He tells them about how he loves them. But he also tells them some very hard things that, that are difficult for them to hear. He promises them that he will be with them. But he also promises them something that I think is hard for any believer to hear. And that is that we will face persecution. That we will face trials. Not just natural trials. Not just because we live in, not just because we are human beings, but trials that are out of acts of hatred by others who would come against the church. And so in verse uh, 18, let's start there, John chapter 15, Jesus starts this part of, of his discourse by saying this, If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. So if you wonder why those who you share Christ with or those who know that you are Christians who don't like it, don't like you, maybe even hate you, it's because God chose you. It's because God has saved you. This is just a byproduct of what it means to be a Christian today. That, that we are representation, we represent Christ and therefore the world hates us. In verse 20, Jesus reminds the disciples of something he had just told them a few chapters back. And that is this, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. Jesus uses this, this word we see in, in verse 18, this word hate. Jesus uses this word. And in this, in this dialogue in, in John chapter 15, 
In these next few verses, Jesus is going to use this word a total of eight times to describe the uh, to describe how people feel about Jesus and how they feel about the disciples. He uses this word hate. Now, how many how many of you know that hate is a very strong word to use? Has anyone ever called you uh, a hater or? has said that you hated something, or maybe you have heard someone say that to you, I hate you, or I hate this, or I hate that. You know, if my kids say that in passing, I immediately stop them and say, don't say that word. You don't hate that. You don't hate that. You don't hate your brother. You don't hate your sister. Okay? Don't use that word, because that word at its core describes a very um, hostile uh, feeling towards another person or a thing. Jesus was very intentional when he used this word. He meant it when he said it. And hatred often arises when you have two opposing views where neither view will give any ground to one another. Okay, you have two views that are at complete opposite ends of the spectrum. And neither view whether it's a, a just, just an idea or it's individuals that, where they can't find any common ground to the point where they, they just despise and hate the other view or the other person. This, this is where hate comes from. And hate expresses itself in, in different ways. None of them are good. None of them have the other person's interest in mind. In fact, hate expressed... The only interest in that is how can you harm the other individual, the other party, the other view? How can you harm it? How can you defeat it? And what I want to convey to us tonight when it comes to thinking about the cost of discipleship and being hated by the world is that there are two opposing views in our world today. There's only two. There's only two. There's light and darkness. There's spiritual light and there's spiritual darkness. And those two views, you could call them worldviews if you would like, those two worldviews are both ruled by a king. The kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light. And these two kingdoms at their very core, are in opposition to one another. Right? Do we agree on this so far? That if you are a part of the kingdom of God, where Christ is king, you must hate the kingdom of darkness where Satan is having his dominion in people today. You must hate that. And the opposite is true. If you are not in Christ, you will hate those who are. You will hate what they stand for. You will hate that, that, that the church of Christ is calling for repentance, calling for turning from sin, calling for a denial of self to serve a master who is king of kings and lord of lords. The world hates that. John 14, verse 30 just one chapter back, Jesus is, is foreseeing 
uh, his, his, remember this is, this is the same dialogue where we are in John 15 tonight. Jesus is with his disciples and he's, he's on the, the heels of the crucifixion. And he says this in John 14, 30. He says, the ruler of the world is coming. He has no claim on me. Satan is king to those who do not follow Jesus. This is who Jesus is talking about, the ruler of the world. He's the ruler over all people apart from those being born again. This doesn't mean that Satan is ruling and reigning today. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that when you are not in Christ, you are ruled by the bondage of sin. And the master and the king of all sin, of all wickedness, is, is the devil. And so, for, for the person who denies Christ today and says, you know what, I don't want to submit to some God. I want to be my own God. I want to have freedom. The only freedom you have, brother or sister, person who, who has that way of thinking is freedom from submitting to the one who can set you free from the bondage you are currently in. You are enslaved to sin. You might think you're free, but that freedom is a facade. It's, it's bondage, and you are being ruled by the master and the king of darkness, who is the devil, who is Satan. So, when someone comes from that state into the kingdom of Christ, when they are born again, as Jesus talks about in John chapter 3, when he says, you must be born again. When that happens, there, there, is, a, there is an amazing transformation. Think about going, think about this, these two kingdom ideas, okay? You have someone who, hit, who is serving one king, and then all of a sudden goes to serve the other king. There, there's a dramatic transformation that, that takes place within that person. A dramatic transformation. Because you're changing allegiance to two totally opposite ends of the spectrum. This is why Christians are hated. Because those who are in Christ are hated by the anti-Christ. Those who are in Christ are hated by those who are against Christ. This should be no surprise to us today. This should be no surprise to us today. If this is surprising to you today, you need to get out a little bit more. Okay, you need to, you need to, you need to just get out and, and, and see the world today uh, with some, some fresh eyes. Um, this should not be a surprise, and I don't think it is to, to most of us in here tonight. In 2 Timothy 3, verse 12, the Apostle Paul, he's talking to Timothy, who was his right-hand man in the faith, his, one of his disciples, his, his dear disciples that he had, he had trained up. And he says this to him, he says, All who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Notice the phrasing there, all who desire. Not you, Timothy, not some who desire. No, all <clears throat> who desire 
to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. When, when, when Paul wrote this to Timothy, you think about the early church and the hostility they were facing in that time. You know, you think about where we live today. We live in San Well, I live in Fredericksburg. Y'all live in San Antonio. We live in Texas, the greatest country in the world. Amen. And we do not face persecution quite like the first century church did here in Texas. Amen. We don't. Not yet. Uh, you know, we can desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus without feeling too much persecution here in San Antonio. But what if our nation began to become more hostile towards the gospel, towards Christianity? What if that's already happening? Does anyone who, who doesn't live under a rock start to see some of that happening around our nation today? Maybe in other nations that are close by, like Canada where you can't say certain things behind the pulpit without fear of going to prison. And you're not preaching anything outlandish, you're preaching the same things that the church has been preaching for years and years and years and years and years. Where the gospel's not changing, but the hostility towards the kingdom of God is ramping up. To where even just having a desire to live a godly life brings persecution. This is what the Apostle Paul is talking to Timothy about because the persecution there was very real and very fierce. And Jesus was making it clear to the disciples and the Apostle Paul was making it clear to, to Timothy and really to us today, you will face persecution. You will face it. And when you fully understand the two kingdoms that are at war with one another... This hatred by the world makes perfect sense to us. It should just be like, of course, of course we're hated. Look at the evil that the world wants to celebrate today. Of course it's going to hate the Word of God. Of course it's going to hate Jesus Christ. We should not be surprised by this hatred. It would not make sense if the enemy loved the opposing king. Would that make sense? In any, have you ever seen any kind of uh, film or read a book or maybe some kind of historical battle that took place where the enemy who, who had allegiance to their king uh, all, just also just really liked the other king and liked the, what they stood for as well. I haven't seen that movie yet. I don't think it would last very long. I don't think it would make sense. No, usually you have two opposing kingdoms where they, they are just so against one another that the only way through is by defeat of the other kingdom, by, by winning the battle, by winning in warfare. War and warfare is a product of opposing views unwilling to give up ground. We are in a spiritual war today. That war started the moment that 
that Adam fell in the garden, that at that moment when sin entered the world, the spiritual war began. And when Jesus died on the cross the spiritual and rose from the dead, the spiritual war was won by our King, Jesus Christ. And we as His children have to go out and reclaim territory for Christ today. You know, when, when, when David cut off the head of Goliath, they defeated Goliath. The, that, that, that battle was over, but they still had to pursue the Philistines. The Philistines ran, but they had to pursue them. They had to still take ground. And for us today as, as Christians, this is what we have to do. The only way to take ground for the Lord today is with the Word of God, is with the sword that He has given us. And so we are in an ongoing spiritual war today. And the, the ultimate reality is that one of the kings must win. And we, we serve the king that has already won. Amen. We serve that king who has already won. Jesus has the victory today. And until he returns, there will be these remnant battles that continue to take place within this great spiritual war. There will be these battles. You, you think about San Antonio for a minute. If all, the, if all the churches in the city just shut their doors today, over the next, over the, the, I would just say, the rest of the year, what do you think would happen to the culture and society just, just in San Antonio? If you think it's bad now, what do you think it would look like if, if there was no church meeting at all, if, if, if all the pastors resigned, if all the churches just closed down, well, I think in our minds we know what would happen. There would be no ground being taken for the Lord. Lives would not be being changed. The, the gospel would not be going forth. We, we can either count the cost and prepare ourselves for battle, for war, and be ready and live life as, as true disciples of our Savior here on earth, advancing His kingdom, or we can surrender. Or we can negotiate peace. Let me tell you what, the only way to negotiate peace with the kingdom of darkness is to surrender. Is to drop your sword and take up uh, and, and raise the white flag. That's it. Option A is the only option for the children of God. Is the only option for us today. We are called to fight with the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Now I know we prayed about peace tonight. We prayed to be peacemakers. And I'm all for peace. And I'm not saying that we, uh, that we go to the gun store and and buy out all of the rifles and ammunition and, and get ready for World War III, if you've done that, give me your number and when it happens, I'll, I'll be right there, okay? <laughs> but what I'm talking about is 
having God's word, the weapon that he has given us to fight the enemy in our minds, in our hearts, and on our lips, and even on our feet, that, it, that we would be ready and equipped with the word of God and not afraid to face the persecution that may be looming in our land today. Because I believe it's coming. I believe it is coming. The world's ruler hates your ruler. The enemy hates Christ. And therefore, hates the message and the words of Christ. 1 Corinthians 1.18 says, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. So the bad news is that we as Christians will face persecution. That's the bad news. And as, as the world you know, gets, seems like it's getting darker and darker, when those, when those battles are in front of us, there will be times where we have to uh, really just accept the persecution that's there and be, be ready for it. But there will also be times and moments where those, the Bible says, those who are being saved, it is the power of God. Where the word of God will continue to go forward in light of persecution. Where we can expand the kingdom of God even in the midst of persecution. Even in the midst of resistance where the enemy thinks he's taking ground. But really, the kingdom of God is advancing. Because Christ is on the throne. He's already won the spiritual war. And his kingdom is going to continue to advance when lives continue to turn to Christ for salvation. Okay. I want to get you guys out of here on time tonight. Even though the Cowboys aren't playing tonight, they already played. Did they win today? Who cares, right? Who cares? I don't even know. Uh, they lost? They won. Okay, pray, praise the Lord. Okay. Uh, so what do we do when we're mocked for our faith? What do we do? I want to look at Matthew chapter 5. We, we're not going to turn there, but in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus gives us two things. He tells us to do two things. And y'all should be familiar with this. Y'all have been in Matthew uh, for a while now. Yes, amen. <laughs> Jesus says, when, when you are mocked by your enemies, or, or, or when, when you are interacting with your enemies, you should do two things. You should love them. And you should pray for them. And you can't do number two until you've got number one down. You can try. But, you know, will it be genuine? I don't know. Maybe try number two and that'll help you to love them. I don't know how that works. But love them and pray for them. Why? Well, the love shows them a picture of the love of Christ that he had towards you. That while you were his enemy, he died for you. 
while you were his enemy who dies for their enemies who does that Jesus does that I wouldn't do that maybe I would maybe I should it would be hard for me to let me just say that I would try to be obedient to the word of God but it is hard to get to that place where you would die for your enemy. That's what Jesus showed for us, and that's what we show to our neighbor, our neighbor, our enemy, when they come against us, when they ridicule us, when they persecute us, when they hate us. We love them. We love them. And out of that love, we pray for them. Why do we pray for them? Because as we read in 1 Corinthians, it's the power of God that saves people. God has to do a work in our enemies if we want them to be on our side. If we want them to come over out of the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light, God has to do a work in their heart where they have to put their faith in Christ for salvation. And so if you have loved ones today, or you have enemies today who are yet to put their faith in Christ, pray for them. Pray for them. Don't just say you're going to pray for them. Don't just tell your loved one that you're going to pray for their husband or pray for their niece or pray for their nephew. Actually pray for them. And watch what God will do. <clears throat> I'm trying to uh, manage the time here, so I'm just looking through my notes. Bear with me for just a second. Hebrews 4, verse 2 says, For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. We must remember that we are at war with sin. Even us today, when we were regenerated in Christ, how many of you got a new body? Anybody out there? I didn't. And that's, that's good. You're not supposed to. If you did, I, I you know... We didn't get a new body. We, we're still living in this body of flesh. And the Apostle Paul describes it as us being at war with our body, where he goes into this, this uh, like convoluted text that you have to reread seven or eight times to even kind of understand what he said. You know, he's saying, I'm doing what I shouldn't do, and because I shouldn't do what I thought I was going to do. And then, y'all know what I'm talking about. That's how we feel, right? When, when our flesh is, is crying out, you know, do this, you know, do what feels right, you know, say this, do that, you know, that person deserves this, I deserve that. We must remember that we are at war with sin. And sin and the love of it is what causes the good news of the gospel to be hated and rejected. It's not you, it's not you as a person. What did Jesus tell his disciples? He, it, he said, if the world hates you, know that it hated me first. The only reason the world hates you 
And, and I'll say this in kind of a facetious way, but hopefully the world hates you if you're a Christian today. You, you want the world to hate you. Now, I don't mean to be, you know, just a, you know, thorn in everyone's side just to be that guy or, or that girl or that person. But when it comes to standing up for the word of God, when it comes to standing up for truth, when it comes to not compromising basic biology, when it comes to not compromising truths that, that, that we know to be true, where the world is wanting to undermine the very creation of God, the world should hate you. The world should hate you when it comes to killing children in the mother's womb. The world should hate you when it comes to parents telling their children that they can choose whether they want to be a boy or a girl. And if they want to take that further, let's go to the, to the doctor and have reconstructive surgery on you. The world should hate you when you come against that with the Word of God. If it doesn't, I'm sorry, but you're not shining your light. You're not representing the king that you claim to serve. You're representing the kingdom of darkness. And, and I'm, not, I'm not saying this to, to condemn. I'm saying, that, I'm saying what the word of God says. Jesus says to follow him means you have to take up your cross. He, he's painting this picture of you literally crucifying yourself. Because it's not about you. It's not about me. If it was about me, I mean, we'd, we would all burn, right? If it was about you, we, we would all burn. It's about Jesus. It's about pointing people to Jesus. And we have so much work to do for the kingdom of God. Think about your children. Think about your grandchildren. Think about your neighbors. Think about those who are going to remain here on this earth when you go. You know, none of us know what time we're going to leave this earth. We all hope that it's, well, I don't know. Some, I talk to some people that say, Lord, just come right now, right? I don't know if they're saying, Lord, take me to you, you know, with, with the whole church, or if they're saying, Lord, strike me dead. I don't, I don't know. But... Either way, we don't know the hour, but whether we're here or not, the work of God is going to carry on when, when we are gone. Someone's going to be here after, after we die. What kind of legacy are we building now for the next generation? The next generation is resting on, the, on what the church is building right now. And if we are not willing to engage in these spiritual battles with the kingdom of darkness, we're going to lose. We're going to lose, and our kids, are, are, we're setting them up for failure. We're setting the church up for failure. This, we don't want to do that. Okay? We want to be a church. We want to be a people that wage war with the enemy with the word of God, that do not compromise with the enemy, that do not compromise with the kingdom of darkness because we serve the king of kings and the lord of lords we serve the king who is ruling and reigning today and we have the bible says that the holy spirit lives within us when jesus died on the cross what happened to the temple veil 
It was torn. By who? By God. From top to bottom, that veil was torn. And then Jesus said He would send the Helper to indwell the believer. That now our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And if we have God's Spirit inside of us, we have the power to take ground for the kingdom of God here today. We don't have to wait for eternity. We don't have to wait till we see Jesus in heaven. We can experience a move of God in the world today. We have to be willing, though, to count the cost. What's it going to cost? What's it going to take for you to get to the place where no matter what happens, you're ready, you're ready to advance the kingdom of God. You're ready to defend against the lies of the enemy, against your children, against your wife, against your church. What's it going to take? What's it going to cost? I just want to tell you, there is a price to pay to follow Jesus. You know, that passage in Luke, Jesus uses very strong language when he's talking about hating your children. I mean, I can't even fathom that thought. What he's emphasizing there is that you, you love me so much that everything else just fades away. That when it comes to denying all for the sake of serving me, there's, there's no hesitation. There's no hesitation. Jesus, when he's talking to the disciples in, 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 in John 15, when he's talking to them, he's talking to them about how he will leave them soon. He, he says it several times. I'm going away and you cannot come with me. He promises them the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit would come, the helper. But he tells them in John chapter 15, look at, as we close here, just, just look at this passage really quickly. Actually, John 16, we move into John 16, verse, verse 2. He says, they will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. Now, what Jesus is talking about here in offering service to God is, of course, the religious leaders at the time who thought Jesus was a heretic, who thought the early church disciples were, were blasphemers. And so they thought in the name of God, they thought they were doing the right thing. But Jesus, he, he, in this text, if you want to go and read it, he, he talks about how their denial of him after doing the miracles, after claiming to be the Messiah, after pointing to God, after, uh, um, after uh, explaining the, the old prophecies and how he, is, a, he is, the, is the fulfillment of that prophecy, how he was the Messiah, that they still rejected him. He called them to repent and believe and they still rejected him. Jesus said they are without excuse. That that is their sin. That they have rejected the Messiah. And so that's what Jesus is talking about there when he's talking about their, their offering service to God. But I want to focus here on what he says at the beginning that, that Jesus is promising the disciples that they will put them out of the synagogues. 
I want you to think about us today. There, there is coming a day, and if, if you want to disagree with me, I hope you're right. But I believe there's coming a day when what I'm saying tonight would, would throw me in jail in this nation. And when, when, we talk about, when we talk about things that have to do with our culture and how the, how the word of God is supreme over what our nation is saying, what, what our government is pushing in certain areas, that we will be thrown in jail. That day, I believe, is coming. And when that day comes, the church has a, has a decision to make. The church has a, has a decision to make whether it is going to bow and bend the knee and surrender or whether it's going to fight and take up its cross and follow Jesus and bear the name of Christ and continue advancing his kingdom. And the only way that we can do that is to count the cost now. Are you willing to live for Christ even if it costs you your life? We do this in two major ways, and I could do a whole sermon on these two ways, but I'm going to just say them in the next minute. The first way is you have to be ready. You just, you just have to be ready. We have to be ready to wage war with the enemy. How do we do that? We have to spend time with the Lord. We have to spend time with him. The relationship we have with our Savior has to be tight. It has to be real. It has to be uh, something that we express. It can't just be something we talk about here and there or pray, pray, you know, at Christmas time or Thanksgiving meal. No, we have to have a relationship with our Savior, with our King. This is how we get ready. Because we have to actually believe what we say we believe. We have to actually believe in our heart, what we say we believe about who Jesus is and what his word says. We have to be ready. The second thing, we have to be equipped. So it's not just in our mind, but, but we have to equip ourselves with the tools. And the tool, the main tool, is God's word. We have to be a, a church and a people today, I believe, that memorize the scripture. When we look at our culture, when we look at things in our nation today or even in our city, maybe in our family where we're seeing things said that are contrary to the Word of God and we know in our minds that it's wrong but we, but we can't really put our, our finger on, on, on the verse or, or you know, how it's wrong. we gotta, we got to go to the Word and we got to memorize those verses. we got to find those passages. You know, if there's something stirring in your heart about something wrong happening in the world today, some kind of ideology, go to God's word and familiarize yourself with, with why you're feeling that way. And understand what God's word actually has to say about those things so that when your time comes to speak into that, you're not resting on your own ideas or your own opinions. You're resting on the very word of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And when you do that, there's power in that. This is how we equip ourselves. Because you must believe, you must know why you believe what you say you believe. 
So you have to actually believe what you say you believe, but you also must know why you believe what you say you believe. You have to be ready to back it up. You have to be ready. The church has failed in this regard, I believe. The church has, has failed in implementing things according to God's word or uh, combating the ways of the enemy without without using God's word to do so, without basing it in the foundation of God's word. When that happens, there's no foundation to rest on. There's nothing to point to. There's no standard to point to. It's all just my words. It's all just a pastor's charisma. It's all just popularity. We have to rest on the word of God. So, as we close today... I just have one question. Are you ready to count the cost? Let's stand together. Maybe you're, maybe you're standing here tonight and you're thinking, I am ready. I've been ready. I agree. I, I, I'm ready. Let's take it a step further. Are your children ready? Are your grandchildren ready? Because remember, we won't be here forever. We could be gone tonight. I could be gone tonight. And if I go, I want my children to know that living as a Christian is not going to be easy, but it's going to be victorious. And it's going to be worth fighting because you're fighting on the side of the victor. You're fighting on the side of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And so when we count the cost, when, when we see how much it's going to cost, it pales in comparison to the price that's already been paid for our salvation. It pales. There's no comparison. The rate of return is like a million percent. Aren't you thankful for your salvation today? Let, let's, let's, let's embrace what it's going to take for us to live as true disciples of Christ in our day. Let, let's train our children to embrace that. To not shy away from it. But to embrace being a true disciple of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for salvation. I thank you for the honor of being a soldier in the army of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Lord, help us as, as the church to be worthy of the calling that you've placed on us. Lord, we're so thankful for salvation Help us to use the Holy Spirit that's within us to impact the world, to impact our children, this next generation, Lord, that is, that is coming into the world at, at, in, in areas in our nation that seems like they are coming into hopeless situations. Lord, let that break our heart. Let that stir us to be willing to do anything for you. 
to be willing to lay our own desires down, our own passions, our own dreams, to count the cost and to be ready and equipped to advance your kingdom here today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.